I will say I am subscriptioned out, so I'm getting annoyed that everything is turning into a subscription. <laughs> but I will say if there is an app that I do want to become a subscription next, it's Final Cut for the Mac. And because of that, the reason why is because in theory, Apple cannot and will not have something that is now earning them money per month and just completely neglect it for years like Correct. they have been. They cannot Correct. do that. Oh, we're back. We are back. Welcome, John. I'm back. After three years, COVID finally got me, but I'm feeling good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that you were asymptomatic, just walking around like yeah. the Terminator. We were talking before the show started. It's a very weird to like test positive. Like you take those Binax test things and like that line goes up and that thing pops positive real fast. Instantly. Instantly. <laughs> like it says wait 15 minutes. Right. But there's like a 10 second wait. But I had no symptoms, which was was weird. It's my first bout with COVID, you know, spent so long, you know, something being top of mind and then really have feel nothing. It's very weird. I think you might be the last person in my sphere of friends and influence who didn't catch it until now. That's crazy. I'm not going to lie. There was part of me that thought I was immune. There was like a big mm. part of me. I was like, oh, I'm never going to get this. I had so much exposure through the years and never had it. Well, John. Yes, we have a guest. Yes, exactly. Before I forget, I want to let you know that we've got a big show today. Big show. Maybe our biggest show. You know, I didn't want to say that. I was thinking it the whole time. This time it's true. Right, exactly. We've got someone who represents the tech world unabashedly and the Apple world unassumedly. Respected. I would even say revered, <laughs> perhaps. Yes, for sure. I would maybe go for as sure. far. He's actually returning to the show, gracing us once again with his presence. It's Dan Barbera from Mac Rumors. How are you doing, Dan? I'm going to go back and listen to all the times you guys introduced me and see like, <laughs> just how much more ridiculous it's getting. Ridiculous? I don't even know what unassumedly means. I don't, I don't think that was a word. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Always yes, a pleasure. Yes, for back. sure. It is our pleasure. And Andrew's verbal similitude, sometimes you never know what words he's going to make up. Correct. Nor do I. Yeah, exactly. It just comes out. Whatever. You're like the Stephen A. Smith of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, we actually do legitimately have a lot of news. Oh, there's a lot to talk about today. Huge week in tech. Before we jump into all that, I feel like I do this every now and then, but I, I want to just talk about gaming for a second. Have either of you been playing the new Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom? It's literally what I was doing right before I stepped on this podcast. Is it? Look, at we have something we can talk about gaming now. We have something to talk about. I thought Breath of the Wild was one of the greatest games I'd ever played. I was okay, yes. beyond excited for Tears of the Kingdom. You beat it? Breath of the Wild? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, eight okay. years ago or something. Right, seven? Yeah. It's been seven years? It has. Yeah. It was a, it was a launch game for the Switch. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I remember that, but like, geez, seven years. I have not played it yet. But I think this is a really good reason to get an OLED Switch. Yeah. Yes. But also, I'm really scared to buy one because it's 350 bucks, and then, like, when's the next Switch coming? Are, are we hearing that anytime soon? Or you got to figure, if they, if they just released their flagship title of, like, arguably the decade, yeah. they're yeah. not putting out. And, and if, if that didn't launch with a new Switch, it's true. there's not a new Switch coming for a little while. I don't think a human being on the planet, when they announced Tears of the Kingdom... Thought it was going to launch on the regular Switch. Okay. Correct. Yeah, same here. I think it's going to be about like a year or year and a half away. Yeah. From something new. So you're saying I should buy an OLED Switch and get this? I think you should. Or I think you should take out your phone and order it while we're recording. As we're recording. <laughs> Way too much pressure. And my phone's across the room, so I can't even do that. 
I need to put out an admission here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because I didn't beat Breath of the Wild, I have beaten three of the four... Divine Beasts. Divine Beasts. And I started getting back into it in the lead up to Tears of the Kingdom's yeah. release. But I haven't completed it yet. And I feel like I want to beat Breath of the Wild before jumping into the new game. So it's like an incredible amount of FOMO going through my body since last Friday. But also that FOMO is encouraging me to beat the game, the previous one, so that I can enjoy what everyone else is talking about. And from what I've seen, and John, I mean, you've, you've played it, with Breath of the Wild being so incredible, people are actually saying this even brings that experience up a notch. I went back before this came out and I started playing Breath of the Wild again, maybe like a month ago. Just remember like the controls and what did what. It's been so long since I picked it up. So I, I get what you're doing. If you're looking to have a cohesive plot, you don't need to worry about the cohesive plot here at all. Something happens to Hyrule. Zelda goes away for a bit. You get some new powers. Go ahead and explore. And like you are completely caught up. And Ganon is probably involved. Right. Okay. You're caught up on the story. Okay, so you don't need to even have played the previous one to enjoy the new one. No, not not. It helps, but you don't have to have beaten it or anything. You have to know the gameplay. I'm early in it. I just started on, I think, on Saturday. I just got my fourth orb. It has finally left the sort of that launch sky planet. It's a minimal experience. But in the probably five hours I've played right now, I didn't think it was possible to top Breath of the Wild. This appears to take all the amazing things about Breath of the Wild and just add on top of that without taking away anything. It sucks that they made it 70 bucks and it's $10 more expensive. It sucks it launched on old Switch hardware. On an OLED Switch, it still looks pretty good. I've had no bugs. I think it is worth every penny. Let me ask you about that real quick. So you're playing on an OLED Switch. Is that your preferred method of playing? Like for me, I imagine like it doesn't matter what Switch I would play on because I would dock it to the TV because I want to play it on like the big screen. I've really enjoyed playing it portably. Like my kids like to watch me play sometimes and I'll dock it. But I don't mind sitting there just taking it with me and sit back on the couch and play. I, I like that flexibility. And I've got that's how I started Breath of the Wild again. So I got used to those controls. That's the best way to play it. That's what makes the Switch the best way to like play these types of games personally. My son's been super into playing. We got him one for Christmas. So he plays nice. Twice, and he does not. He has no interest in putting it up to the TV all the time. It is much more like his world to just sit there in like a little chair and just play right close Did to his face. Did he get an OLED switch for Christmas? No. I thought about this would have been horrible, but I thought Kids about don't care. I thought about briefly like giving him mine <laughs> and buying oh, an OLED go. switch. That's, kind of, been, that's kind of the move. And then repacking it. Yeah. So that he, oh, I would have <laughs> that would have been incredible. So terrible doing it. No, we just bought him another normal one. That was your opportunity to be like, oh I'm just gonna borrow. We can play together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. So like for me, I just love like having the surround sound and having the big screen, like have it on the big OLED and just play with a pro controller. This discussion is still why now seven-ish years later, the Switch is still incredible, right? Absolutely. You want to dock it and play on your TV? Like you can do that if you want to sit on your Go couch ahead. take it with you. Like I think that is the beauty of the Switch that we can even have two different opinions on how to play a console. It's nuts. Yeah, like, so for sure, for sure. Or play your console in the airplane. I'm honestly shocked that Post, you know, release of the Switch and its popularity, there has been nothing from Xbox or PlayStation on this. How? I mean, Game Pass? Yeah, Xbox has it to where you can play Game Pass games on whatever hardware you choose to play, which is, you know, so they don't have to make their own hardware because you can just grab your smartphone and hook up a controller to that. 
That's not the same. I think like if Xbox made its own thing, had its own like had the basically just made a mini portable Xbox, like I think many more people would want to buy that. Me personally, I wouldn't think to take out my phone and hook up controllers. Could you imagine a new PS Vita? Right. Like people would lose yeah. lose their minds. It's interesting because it seems that at least in the past the only company to really succeed with big numbers in portable consoles has been Nintendo. PlayStation had the PlayStation Portable, the PlayStation Vita, but it never, like, they canceled it because, like, it was selling, but it wasn't selling enough to make sense to keep doing it. Whereas Nintendo, like, I don't know what it is, but... Maybe it's just the games. Like, Mario and Zelda are just games that are meant to be played in your hands like that because of the way we played them when we were kids. Although, Mario, technically, all of those started on a docked Nintendo, so I don't know what it is, but they got it. So, before we, we jump in, because we got a lot to talk about with Dan... Yes. This is like not overly exciting, but I do have some, I have some news to share. I might as well share it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So between my years of doing YouTube on my own and then running Techno Buffalo and then sort of now with, with JFL back on my own, it's been about 14 years. I have been in a bunch of different places. I filmed at home. I filmed in offices, but I never had my own space. I, yeah, the first time I've ever said it, actually, I bought a studio space. Hey. So we are going to have our, our own studio space closing on it in about nine days. It's going to be pretty exciting. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, congrats. I'm actually surprised. Like, so when you have been in spaces before, those weren't yours. Always renting. Okay, renting. Okay, so now you own it. Yeah, always, always renting. Now we own it. We can do what we want. We can build out the sets how we want to build them, which will be uh, it's pretty exciting. What is the space? It's an artist loft, so it's a live-work loft. It doesn't look nearly as cool as Dan's space, the new space that he's in. Debatable. But it gives us a, bun- <laughs> it gives us a bunch of flexibility. You know, the loft gives you, you know, storage and room for, for sets. And we could do things that we couldn't do before. You know, we don't have to have C-stands everywhere. We can actually mount lights and sort of have like a ready-to-go ready set. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. That's very nice. Share it here quickly on the podcast before you jump into the next topic. When do you think you'll be shooting there? Probably a while. I really want to build it up and do it right. We have our current space until October. So, we have some, okay. we have some, some time. But I'm excited for it. You think it'll be ready by December? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have to be in there before December. All right, cool. I got to check it out then. What's the most exciting part of this? Honestly, so first is having like having a bit of real estate. I think it's pretty cool. Like that's like a person like, like personal pride. Being able to build out sets like we couldn't drill stuff in walls. We couldn't change flooring like we can we can do all those things right now. Do whatever you want. Yeah. I'm also pretty excited about the tax benefits, if I'm being honest. Mm. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> for sure. Aside from that, I'm just excited. I think it'll be a, a nice asset for the business staff. Nice. Big congrats to you. That's awesome. Thank you. We got more important things to talk about. Yes. Let's, let's jump into one of the most surprising ones of the week. Final Cut Pro oh, and man. Logic Pro come to the iPad. And I think we could even add a finally on there and um, I mean, not be in a facetious way. Out of nowhere. Dan, did you know that was coming? No. And so I think the consensus is that WWDC is going to be absolutely insane if they cut what would possibly be one of the flagship announcements at WWDC and they just like put it on a random Tuesday press release. Like then I'm guessing this is going to be quite jam-packed, obviously. I have an alternative view of what you just said. And I understand why you're saying that. Okay. Here's my take. Let's hear it. WWDC is specifically about the operating systems it's rare that they cover here's a new app right here's a, here's an app that we made it's, it's mostly about the operating systems 
And the other thing is the keynotes are focused on the consumer operations. Like, it seems like I know, like, if, in other words, if you were, if you didn't do what we did for a living, right? If you're just the average person out there, do you really care about this? Do you really care that Final Cut Pro is on the iPad? Hold on. You're the average person. All these operating systems that you're talking about, what are operating systems? They are beginning with the soft ends and where? No, they're software. But what I'm saying is they talk about here's all the features that most anyone will care about. Here's what's new in iMessage. Andrew, we're talking about a company who usually spends the first five minutes of their keynotes talking about developers, no matter what they're doing. How much, yes. how many apps have been downloaded. Yes. I think this would have been a flex for Apple on stage. Even if it was a, a three minute mention, it would have been a big flex for Apple. And it would have been an acknowledgement, I think, to the people who've been clamoring for this. I'm in the camp with Dan that if they pushed this, that there's something big coming at, at DC. I don't disagree with that part. I don't disagree with that part. I guess what I'm more saying is I kind of mixed up the two things. The anticipation that we all had waiting. When is this coming? We need this. We need this, right? For years. I almost feel like when it came, everybody was like, finally, this is the biggest thing we've seen for the iPad. But I don't necessarily agree that most people care about this announcement. I'm sure most people don't. That's probably true. It's a really a subset. And the other thing I saw that was interesting, and I, I kind of anticipated this, was people were, were clamoring for Final Cut. And then when Final Cut was announced, the very next thing you see is, well, I don't think I'm going to use that. I'm not going to switch to a touch interface. Like you've been begging for it for, you just wanted the checkbox to be checked, even though you weren't going to use the feature of the checked box. No, that's because it became a subscription app and everybody lost their minds. Yeah, that was a weird pivot. It should have been part of Apple One, right? Well, I don't know if it would be part of Apple One. I think it should have been. That'd be interesting. But I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. Like, okay, I'm going to back up for a second. You know how we always talk about how the iPad Pro isn't very pro? Yeah. A lot of people will say this, right? I think we're always looking at it from what do we use it? Because I went out to, I forget his name, but he's a huge director in Hollywood. He makes these like big budget movies. And you forgot his name? I forget the dude's name. <laughs> because I never, he's not like Steven Spielberg. But he's like, he's wow. a huge director. He did the Tom Hanks movie, the recent one that was on Apple where he... Greyhound? No, it was Mr. Otto, right? Not that one. Greyhound, the one before. The war one, right? The war one, yes. And he was showing how they did these shots that previously they were unable to do until the iPad Pro added a LiDAR scanner. Hmm. And he gave us a demo of they recreate the set in software and they place all the cameras where they want inside of software. And then they take the iPad and they're on a dolly and they have one person controlling a dolly and one person controlling the iPad. And the shots they're able to get by moving around the virtual set because of the LiDAR scanner is what allowed this billion dollar Hollywood movie to look the way it does. That's cool. So it's like, you know, for us, we're like, what is this stupid LiDAR scanner? No one uses this. And then it's like, no billion dollar movies use it. We just don't, we don't have a reason to, but they do. So it's all relative, right? I still think it would have been a big announcement. I still think they would have liked to show that off saying that they finally started importing some of its pro apps to make the iPad pro more quote unquote pro. And then we've been focusing on Final Cut Pro because we are video editors by day. You yeah. know? So like, yes, but we're not looking at logic, which is now a full fledged. Correct. You know, it's what a lot of 
people in the music industry use to record. I mean, yeah, there's some, you know, it's like Logic and Pro Tools, but some people use Logic pretty professionally. And now anyone can use Logic with some of the new tools that they brought to the iPad that like makes it a lot easier and more user friendly. So yes, it's a pro app, but it also could be something that a lot of people could like learn how to use music production on with GarageBand. And then once you've mastered that, you kind of move up to the next step. And it's still not as crazy as like loading it on your Mac and trying to figure out how to route all the plugins and stuff. It seems a lot better on the iPad in terms of like learning. And so I think Final Cut might be the same way. And so they could kind of advertise it in that way. And plus, I know, like you say, it's for consumer software, but also it is a developer conference. And so how often are we sitting there listening to them talk about Swift and Xcode and stuff that most people don't care about? So if they can do that, because it is towards developers, maybe there's a way that developers can work with making third-party apps that work with Final Cut and with Logic. They could have made it happen if they wanted. Yeah, exactly. They could have talked about it if they really wanted to. Plugins being the big one. Good point. But yeah, most of the comments that I've gotten on our videos have been nobody cares. Well, there, there's been a lot of, you know, mm. positive, like we're happy about this. There's been a lot yeah. of people yelling about the fact that it's a subscription. And then there's been a few people that are very vocal about it and leave multiple comments saying that nobody cares about this. Move on. I need to say something about this. Like, I don't care about that. It's a subscription. Let me let me just tell you, I bought Final Cut Pro, the version I use now, 11 years ago for $299. I have never had to pay another penny. For any of the updates that Apple has released in over a decade, the amount of money that this piece of software has earned me versus what I pay for it, it's insane. Yeah. Agreed. Totally agree. Paying five, now remember, we always want to, like, you see people online, what is pro, 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 what does Apple mean by pro? Pro, in this case, if you don't want to pay $5 a month or $50 a year, there's iMovie, there's GarageBand. If you want to use pro software, and you can't figure out how to write off $5 per month, if you can't figure that out, then maybe you shouldn't be using the pro software then. Like, this is like nothing. It'll take me, what, eight years of paying 50 bucks a year before I hit what I paid for Final Cut on desktop. I will say, I am subscriptioned out, so I'm getting annoyed that everything is turning into a subscription. (laughs) But I will say, if there is an app that I do want to become a subscription next, it's Final Cut for the Mac. And because of that, the reason why is because, in theory, Apple cannot and will not have something that is now earning them money per month and just completely neglect it for years like they have been. They cannot do that. And so this is hope that if they eventually try to tie it into some bundle where you'll pay X amount more for the Mac app and then you have it for the iPad, they, in theory, should be hiring more people, dedicating resources, and making the app better on the Mac. Because as much as we use it and we love it, it's still pretty bad in comparison to some of the other apps out there that have gotten better or have introduced new features or just fixed bugs that have been plaguing us for years. Yes. And speaking of that, today, Premiere released to all users, because this feature was in uh, beta, the text-based editing. You see this? I did not see that today. So basically... Text-based editing, for people who don't know, it's, it's fairly new. You record content, whether it's a podcast or a video, and instead of watching it and cutting up your edit, you can just look at the transcript and just delete in the text what you don't like, and it'll cut the video based on the transcript. And so using AI, so you know, you have, here's a paragraph of text. Oh, this was a mistake. I shouldn't have said that. I wanted to... Ex- expand this, whatever, you just remove the text that you didn't want in the video and it cuts the video to the new text that you have left over. 
Very cool. Descript does this. DaVinci Resolve does this now. Adobe Premiere does this now. Those last two were pretty recent. Apple, nowhere to be found when it comes to this. Yeah, because they just aren't dedicating resources to it. Right. But it's that. And it's also, this is an AI thing. These are AI-powered features. It seems like AI is the story of 2023, at least so far, like five months into the month or into the year. Apple has been nowhere to be seen. And I'm, I'm very curious if WWDC is going to come and go with Apple just having nothing to say, like compared to Google AI or sorry, Google IO, which should have been called Google AI, <laughs> Google IO, where it, AI was, I don't know how many times they use that phrase, right. 300 times over the course of the keynote. I don't know. I'm worried. Can we talk for a second about Apple AI and Apple's? Yeah, please. One has to assume that they are investing heavily in AI behind the scenes. Like you just, you have to assume. Why have we not seen fruit of that yet? Apple is a company that prides themselves on being so far ahead technologically generally. It is embarrassing where they are on the AI front when you compare it to Microsoft, which is arguably leading the AI sort of revolution amongst the larger tech Mm -hmm. companies. Google, it is staggering. I think... This is an area where Apple's policies kind of shoot themselves in the foot as it pertains to the extreme stance on privacy, because a lot of the AI stuff requires access to data to run. Like even Apple's, the way that they do autocomplete when you're typing is different than everyone else because they just take random samplings versus like Google, which will just, their autocomplete is better because they're not... I don't know how you say privacy first autocomplete, but Apple's stance on privacy kind of blocks them from iterating, at least in this arena, in an arena where it's all about pulling in as much data as possible and working on these large language models. I would also say we're not going to hear anything about this unless it's at something like a WWDC. Apple's not just going to drop, hey, here's this new AI thing, you know, mid-year. They're going to make it as part of an OS update. And so if it's not, that's why I'm saying, if it's not part of this next WWDC, I don't know that we're going to see anything for another year, which just seems like way too long to wait. Maybe that's like the big iOS update. It's, uh, you know, maybe there's some AI stuff you've never heard of yet. I'm guessing they're doing the approach that they do quite a bit, which is wait and perfect it. But I mean, they didn't do anything great with Siri, so it is continuously the worst like one of the three and so i don't know but yeah i mean you're right a lot of ai features these days a lot in video editing it would be nice if like you know kind of tying it back to final cut if we could get some of these they don't have to be something that's announced with like a brand new siri based chat gp it doesn't have to be any of that like using ai for dedicated captions that we can automatically get on a video so that we don't have to bring it into another app would be super helpful or like have a plugin, you know, because now you can do that on Adobe and all these things. WWDC now is like two and a half weeks away and we're getting a sense of what hardware is going to be, was going to come. I think we've talked to death, 15 inch MacBook Air, some version of an M2 processor. It's all going to be M3, not ready yet. It's fine. It's going to be great. But I think the big story is still mixed reality. It's been talked about for years, almost as long as, as Apple car has been talked about. Is this a thing with legs for the future? Or is this going to be Apple really trying to make something happen that the market is not ready for? So if you would have asked me this like a few months ago, I probably would have said, eh, I don't know. It's probably not going to be that great. 
right off the bat and i think apple accepts that which is why it's kind of priced pretty high and like eventually it's just to get it into the hands of developers and blah 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 but i don't know have you noticed like all of the hype coming out recently and then like what yesterday we got the founder of oculus was like the apple headset is incredible i'm guessing he's seen it so (laughs) that's a pretty big comment from someone who basically has helped shaped the wearable ar vr headsets of today and so yeah i mean like i'm starting to hear more and more of these comments and more and more of these reports are coming out and so i feel like this is going to be bigger than we think it is and i feel like more people are going to buy it unless it's like three thousand dollars is already an insane amount of money and that's been the heavily rumored price tag but like even could be more and if it's five thousand dollars i think that's insane and even some of the hardcore people like yes we'll have some to test and things like that but like i think it's not going to be very many i think the report was like a million units which is insane to think about because that's a lot but that's not a lot when you think of apple's entire landscape so who knows can we talk about price i'm talking about price for a second do you remember last year heading into the september event apple watch ultra we knew it was coming do you remember what the expected price that was going to be yeah, like fifteen hundred bucks. Fifteen hundred dollars. Expected to be fifteen hundred. It was substantiated. Everybody's backing it up. It ranged from thirteen to fifteen hundred. Yeah, yep. Apple released the Apple Watch Ultra at eight hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. I don't put it past Apple to seed these three thousand dollar rumors and then release this thing for like sixteen hundred dollars. Go back to the original iPad. Remember the original iPad? It was supposed to be nine ninety nine, and then it, Steve Jobs said four ninety nine. Everybody's like, "What?" Apple does that, right? They put the price on Sage and they change it, and you think you're getting a deal. <laughs> I don't know if I said this. I can't remember if I said this on our actual podcast or if it was our pre-prep, by the way. Shameless plug for my own Mac Rumor Show podcast. We've had both of you guys on. so It's true. Yeah, everybody go check those out. But Great show. Thank you. I think I said it, or if not, I definitely said this to somebody in a room. I don't know if they were listening. But yeah, I said the exact same thing. I really do feel like if they were to come out and be like, yeah, it's 1500 bucks, they would sell so, so many. $1,500 is a lot, but it's not that much when you think of, oh, it was supposed to be $3,000. You're like, I'm getting 50% off this thing that yeah. didn't exist. That's a great play. The interesting thing about it is, okay, if it's at $3,000, remember, Apple generally shoots for roughly 32% margins on their products across the board. Hardware products. I don't know about the software, but hardware products, 32% margins across the board. When you look at the specs of this thing, including the effective 8K visuals in the displays, this is not cheap. Dual M2 based processors, 12 cameras for hand tracking. Like this is not a cheap device to make. If it was $3,000, I was talking to Quinn about this before. He was even saying at $3,000, he doesn't think based on the parts. Now, obviously we don't know what kind of deals Apple's getting and how much you know they're paying for everything. But he was saying he doesn't even think $3,000 gets them, they might just be breaking even, which is rare for them. Do they break even? Do they go cheaper and take loss on hardware in order to make the money from software, which is the classic play that Xbox and PlayStation use, which is sell the soft, sell the hardware, sell the console at a loss because we're going to make it up with tons of software being sold. Would Apple take that approach, you think? No. No, I don't think so either. 
I just can't fathom them trying to take a loss or even break even at that point. Yeah. So if it really does cost that much, then it's going to be 35 for You're thinking somewhere around there. Maybe three because, you know, Apple will, will buy however many, you know, they'll be the number one basically purchaser for these parts mm-hmm. from all their suppliers and they'll get they'll get a good rate. $3,000. I don't know that Apple sells anything in that price range aside from the 16-inch MacBook Pro and then you step up to the base level Mac Pro. So it would be like in between the MacBook Pro or the Mac Studio, correct? I mean, you can spec so a it, MacBook Air over $3,000, I think, or about that. Well, like starting price is what you're probably right, saying? Right, right. But I mean, uh, I mean yeah, starting yeah. price. Yeah. Starting price of a product. It would be sitting in between the Mac Studio and the Mac Pro. Pro display as well. That's a lot. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. But we've kept... John, would you buy one? I mean, I still don't see the use case yet, I, but I imagine that's what Apple's big struggle is going to be presenting the use case for this, for strapping a thing on your face and a battery pack on your belt. They have to present the use case. I got to tell you, if they are like, hey, sports fans, we bought for basketball, courtside seat for every game, strap this on, you're there. Hey, football fans, you want to be at the 50 yard line of any game, strap this on, you're there. I'd probably buy it. If it's like FaceTiming in virtual reality, like I don't care. I always had this kind of thought, and I don't remember who it was, and I apologize for not knowing. Years ago, somebody made a concept mock-up of a virtual reality experience. You put these headsets on, you look at your desk, and you're sitting at a physical desk, and your MacBook shows up virtually. And you type on this virtualized machine that goes with you anywhere your headsets are. You got dual M2 processors. You can do anything you want in this virtual machine. Could you imagine having... Don't buy a MacBook, just buy the headset. Or sort of having that option, watching movies, you know, that kind of stuff. I think there's going to be a killer feature. We're going to be like, oh, okay. Something we didn't suspect. Yeah, until I know what that is. Is it perhaps editing in Final Cut Pro? Because that was also part of the reason why the suspicion on Apple not doing this at WWDC was that they wanted iPad apps to be available, like key iPad apps, because it's going to run iPad apps. And so some of the things, like since it is targeted towards pros and whatever the case may be, that they would be showing Final Cut and Logic and like timelines like that, which I can't imagine I'd want to do. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, if this thing doesn't have a weather app or a calendar (laughs) or a calculator, I'm going to lose my mind. What is a consumer product, tech or otherwise, consumer product in that roughly $3,000 price range that people buy? I'm trying to think of one. That's not like a TV? Like, yeah, TV that you buy once every eight years or something. So wait, lean back up there, Andrew, and ask you. So I think out of all of us here, Dan reviews Apple, but I think is fairly sometimes critical about the things they do. I think you are the, I think it's fair to say the biggest, I don't want to say Apple Homer, but unabashed Apple fan, I think. How do you feel about a $3,000 headset? Obviously, it hasn't been announced. We don't know a bunch of stuff, but just based on rumors and speculation, how do you feel about it? Are you going to get one? For me, take Apple out of the equation. If there's something new and interesting in the world of consumer electronics, that is what I love. So I, I will, right? So I bought, for example, the, I literally used it for, for an hour since I bought it, I don't know, six months ago, the Meta, was it Quest Pro, I think it's called? So I, I, I paid the whatever, $1,500 or whatever for that and I haven't even used it that much. Hey, Andrew, what'd you use it for? <laughs> for the hour? I literally just set it up. Uh-huh. I uh-huh, set it uh-huh. up. What, what'd you use it for? <laughs> That's it. 
what you use it for in that I hour? Didn't even, I didn't even play a game or anything. Yeah, of course you didn't. Like, I was just like, yeah. you, you go in there. <laughs> what is so fun? What? Nothing. Nothing, man. I'm trying to say I wasted my money. No, no, nothing. You should have done the thing that MKBHD did, which was uh, like you could use like multiple displays and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even try that. Like I just, you know, you go through the the setup and they and the the setup is almost like a tutorial for how to use it at the same time. So like you're you're throwing stuff around and you're, you know, playing little mini games in there. But I didn't really get a sense that it was much better than the the regular MetaQuest. I agree. I kind of agree with that. So it's like, okay. But I guess my point is anything like that that's new and different, I want to get my hands on it. Not just because I make videos about this stuff. I didn't even make a video about it. I just, I just love that kind of stuff. So for me, if Apple's putting something out like this and it's their first new product since the Apple Watch, right? Major new product since the Apple Watch, which will be eight years old come WWDC. To me, that's exciting. And, and I would, I, I'm someone who would pay. I, obviously, I have the luxury of being able to make a purchase like that which a lot of people may not be able to. And it would be something I would use to report on and make videos, et cetera. But also, even if I wasn't doing that, it would be something I would want to do. But that's me because I am passionate about consumer electronics and the future of tech. But the average person isn't. The average person isn't like that. And even if you are a fan of tech per se, consumer electronics, coming up with $3,000 just because Apple announced something new may not be the easiest thing to do. And that's why I was saying, like, what are some other things like a TV? And usually you don't even buy a TV because you want one. You buy a TV because you need one. Something's wrong with your TV. Yours is broken. Right. So you, you want it, You need to replace it. If the price is correct, if the rumored price is correct, it's like the ultimate luxury product. It's, it really does feel like this is just a luxury product. No one needs this. No one needed the Apple Watch edition either. And no one bought it. Yeah, well. I've been kind of beating this drum, but Dan, do you think it's it's obviously an unApple like move? Do you think they would ever announce this and just call it a developer edition? Yeah. It's a limited it's it's a you think they would do it? It's a limited release. I think they could do that. I, I wouldn't I mean no one's mentioned this because I feel like they probably wanna I don't think they're going to, but I wouldn't be totally surprised if they did release it and it was strictly a developer edition. I would have been fully on that theory if this happened two months ago if we heard reports about oh this might be a developer edition i'd be like yeah because everybody has been stressing about it and executives weren't that impressed but now that we're hearing all this hype and stuff i don't know Michi quo said this morning that they will be going into mass production by september for this oh good so it was december recently but by yeah by september now mass production by september doesn't mean release by september no but this was mass production by december like a week ago oh interesting so glad that it's ramping up because i was hoping that it would be ready by december like a 2019 mac pro style where they announce the wwdc and then it's out in the end i think this is gonna be uh, if you're gonna do a price like this you have to hit the holiday season Mm -hmm. you do not drop this in february or march yeah but who's buying this gift for if you're getting this gift you better You have done That's something right. Yeah. No, this is the kind of gift that you buy for like someone in your household so you can use it too. Buying this for the kids, but I'm going to be using it. And there's no way I would buy this for any of my kids, no matter what. <laughs> <they're ages. laughs> not, a, not, not, a, not a chance. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to some other Apple stuff, I want to yes. switch over to some Google I.O. news. Yes. Because John's here and I want to get his feedback. So I went to I.O., I saw and I got my hands on coverage. the Pixel Fold. 
Google's first foldable. I even had the opportunity. I believe it was. I couldn't record in there, but I don't think it was off the record. So I'm just, I'm just hoping for the best here. I got to go into the CM, I think it was CMF, CMF labs where they do color manufacturing. And I forget what the F stands for. Basically where they conceptualize new products. They come up with new products, even how they come up with the specific colors, the hues that they're going to ship is there's so much more thought put into this than I ever imagined and realized is put in. It's, it's incredible. So we've got the pixel fold Google's first pixel or sorry, Google's first foldable device, 1799, which matches Samsung's pricing for their foldable, but Google in the past, at least with their smartphones has always been like a hundred or $200 less than what you might consider to be a comparable Samsung or Apple device. And now they're right there. They're, they're right there for the first, for the first gen where Samsung is about to be on the fifth gen. What was your feeling about this product when you saw it? And did you order one? Let me start with you on that. I didn't go to IO. What does it feel like in the hands? How does it compare to the Z Fold 4? I really like the form factor more. That seems to be the consensus. I really like the form factor more because when you open it, so when you open the Samsung foldable, you're almost in a vert, you're in a vertical form factor, right? And when you open the pixel fold, you're in a, a horizontal and it feels, it feels more natural, especially on the cover display. It feels more like the, the shape and size of a typical smartphone display, which has always been my complaint about Samsung. It feels so thin. It's a yeah. lot like the uh, Find N2, right? Yes. Yeah. It, it almost feels exactly like that. It, to me, what it reminds me most of would be the Microsoft Surface Duo, mm -hmm. but with a foldable display instead of two displays. Okay. That's how it kind of felt to me. Did you order one? I pre-ordered one. I did. And now I'm not sure. See, it's that's the thing. I, I never do things where I buy something to make a video and then return it. But I bought this wondering if I want to keep it because there's a few things that I'm just not sure of. Number one, when you think of Pixel, I think most people, when you think of Pixel, it's even in the name, you think of the camera, right? But these cameras, when you look at them, if you hold them up to a Pixel 7 or even a Pixel 6, the sensors aren't as large. So it's almost like these cameras, the hardware is in between a Pixel 5 and a Pixel 6. Now the software, we know the Pixel software, yeah, incredible. what it can do, and maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe the hardware doesn't matter and it's all about the software. Tensor G2 chip, obviously not as, in my opinion, at least capable as like a, the recent Qualcomm chips. And we have foldables from Samsung coming fairly soon. Don't they usually do August? So that would be three months from now. We'll have the next generation of Samsung foldables. And I just don't know. Now, one thing I really like, by the way, the hinge, fantastic. best hinge. This is the best hinge. Did the bezels bother you? Speaking of the hinge. The bezels bothered me at first. It's the kind of thing where, remember when the iPhone notch was the rumor? We hadn't gotten the iPhone 10 yet. All you would see in photos is a notch, and that's all you stare at. You stare at. And then when you use the phone, it's like, oh, it's, it's fine. Who cares? Once you start using it, you don't care about the bezels anymore. But when you see it in someone else's hands, all you see is the bezels. I thought the functionality of the bezels too, how they did the hinge on top. Yes, those hinges are so good. Made sense. And they were able to put the camera in the bezels too, so there's no cutout. I get it. 
It's very flat. When you close it, there's almost no gap there at all, which is super nice. So when it's closed, it really does feel very close to just using a standard candy bar style smartphone, which I feel like is the dream. You want your foldable to not be super bulky. And this one is not. And when you open it up, it is nice and thin and flat. So I'm just kind of torn because, you know, you only get a few minutes with a product at these things. You don't really get a long time. So I did pre-order one. I'm hoping for the best. And if it's good, I will be carrying it around with me going forward. That said, what about you? What about you, John? I couldn't pre-order one fast enough. Interesting. I love foldable. I mean, I love foldables. And they're not always so practical and they're delicate and extremely imperfect. But it's something new in the technology space. And I just, I, I'm just drawn to that. I think what Samsung's done is incredible. A foldable space wouldn't exist without Samsung. The cover display being long and narrow, for me, is hard to use on a regular basis. I do, but I much prefer the squatter outer screen of the Pixel Fold. Combine that with kind of the Pixel experience and Google software prowess and all the Pixel software perks that you get. I'm pretty excited. I'm about to dust off my Pixel watch here and (laughs) step out of the Apple ecosystem for a minute. I'm pretty excited for it. What excited you about, aside from it being a foldable, was there anything, was it just the fact that it's Google's foldable or was there anything more to it? The new form factor I liked, like the the squatter design and then Google's foldable. I just like, it's a combination of the things I love from Samsung and Google into one. Like I'm, I'm in. Dan, how about you? What'd you do? Uh, I was uh, refreshing the page the moment they announced it because I just knew it was going to (laughs) be open. I, I bought one. I am incredibly excited. Same reasons as John. It's just, it's Google. I like everything they do for the most part. And, you know, a foldable with incredible cameras is something that doesn't really exist. I mean, like Samsung's cameras are fine, but it's not coming with Google's computational photography and all of the buzzwords that they put out there for their cameras. So, yeah, I mean, I like that they also have made some software enhancements and catered this software to larger devices and to foldables in general. I know Samsung started to do that a little bit more with what, like they put the dock in last year and like that, that was nice. Like do more things like that, make it more tablet-y when it becomes a tablet. And then I do think that this also just obviously puts in more competition and that's what we need. Here in the US, we only have one manufacturer that makes that Mm. type of form factor foldable. We do have Motorola that does the flip kind of style, but we don't have anything else. You know, I know Oppo, or Oppo, however you want to pronounce it, they are killing it out there, but it's not necessarily something I can walk down to the Verizon store and buy one right now. So yeah, more competition, the better. And of course, tie it back to Apple. I don't want to wait until 2030 for one. So can we step on that like right now? (laughs) I want to put some respect on Dan's name here. He does videos for Mac rumors. You would expect his opinions on things to be, I have no interest, like, Apple focus. But I think the fact that you're so well balanced in your areas of tech, I think make your videos on Apple products really valuable. Thank you. I started my channel, honestly, because of Android. Like I started my own personal channel many years ago because of an Android phone. Literally the one plus one was the thing that brought me out of like Apple to like try out Android phones. I don't know what it was. And then I made my first video on it and, you know, went from there. So can I zig a little bit and keep it in the Apple world? Sure. And I think it's appropriate with Dan here as our guest. New article up on Mac Rumors just went up. Uh Uh-oh. 
France investigating Apple over alleged planned obsolescence arising from serialized repair parts. What does that mean? Serialized repair parts? Integrating a serial number check into their checkout process is a dire omen that could allow Apple a power to block even more repairs in the future. So the parts are serialized. And if your parts don't match with what they're allowing you to repair yourself, they're saying that is a gateway to approve or deny any repairs in the future with parts from any source. And to that planned obsolescence from Apple, I think was as surprising as saying tobacco companies know that smoking is bad for you. Yeah. Like, of course, of course, it's planned obsolescence. Yeah. I mean, what, why would a company make a product so good that you never need to buy another one or not for a long time? The, and I'm sure, Dan, you see it in your videos all the time. People are like, oh, this is a, Apple's trying to steal my money. It's a scam. Like, it's a for-profit company. Yeah. 100% their only job is to make money. Yeah. That is their only job. They're selling you quality products until they become no longer quality. And then guess what? There's another new quality one for you to pick up and buy. Just the argument of they're trying to steal her is always infuriating. Just uh, was curious what your thoughts on on that story were. I, I mean, I'm not one to back like corporate greed, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I'm not, sure. but I'm not surprised by it. I mean, would it be nice that now that we're finally able to repair our own iPhones, you would be able to use whatever part you want from anywhere you want to save money? Yeah, but I also totally understand And wouldn't be surprised if the reason behind it, I haven't read this article, so I don't know yet, but if the reasons behind it were, oh, well, it's not safe for you to use non-authorized parts, we won't want to repair on that, you guys don't want that, so if you want to do it, go ahead, but when you come in and because something's wrong, don't expect us to fix it, honestly is kind of reasonable in my opinion, so I don't hate it, but I also don't understand why it truly matters, so it's up to them. I have a, I mean, I just feel like, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, Apple products, well, I don't know about, I'm, I'm specifically talking about like iPhones, iPads, seem to last the longest. Oh, easily. So when I hear planned obsolescence from Apple and it's like, they they were still releasing OS updates for like the first iPhone SE or whatever, like two years ago, like you can own an iPhone for seven years and still get software updates, or you can buy a brand new Samsung device today and you might get three years. Who's losing the planned obsolescence game there? It just seems strange. And that's worse because that's just software based where your hardware is probably fine enough to be able to upgrade to that. They're just legitimately not letting you do that. Right, right. So. So I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting topic for sure. Right there's like, there's a lot there's a lot here to mm-hmm. to unpack. I think we'll have to read that. It's new. It's it's a new story. It's new. It's new. Let's go to something that that we might know a little more about though, especially with Dan here. The iPhone 15 and 16. Oh boy, rumors. iPhone 15 and 16 rumors. Dan, what's going on here? <laughs> what is going on? First of all, um, one thing that I think is cool that we're starting to see a little pattern. I guess is the entry-level iPhone, so the 15 and 15 Plus, mm-hmm. and I would assume going forward, we're seeing you're getting last year's Pro hardware in the new non-Pro phones. It happened last year, and it seems like it's happening again, where the iPhone 15 and 15 Plus is gonna, are going to get the new 48-megapixel main sensor that's currently in the 14 Pro. And I would assume they're also going to get the processor that's currently in the 14 Pro brought into the 15 non-pro 
I don't know. What do you think of that? So basically, aside from the build materials, it seems what Apple's doing now is if you buy the new non-pro, you're getting last year's pro for cheaper. Yeah. I mean, you could do that now. Just like buy <laughs> slightly outdated, you know, that's true. Design potentially or hardware and get the same stuff at a discount. But at the end of the day, it's probably going to even out to being the same price used or, you know, refurbished or whatever the deal might be. So you might as well just get the brand new. You can say you got it iPhone 15, even though it's last year's stuff, you were going to do that anyway. So, right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, but I'm not surprised by it. So many companies do that. Uh, it, I'm surprised it took Apple this long to like get to that point, to be honest. Yeah. The iPhone 15 pro and pro max or ultra or whatever it was going to be called was the more interesting story. And it started, well, like three months ago, started off being like kind of an amazing new, like this is going to be whole new design and it's going to have a bunch of new features. And then slowly but surely those new features and things are not all of them, but some of them are starting to be moved to next year. That's the disappointing thing. Wasn't it only the buttons, which I know John doesn't care about. We're, talk- we're out here talking about buttons, guys. Wasn't it just the buttons? The buttons and there were a couple of other things that off the top of my head i cannot remember but you know if you go to macrumors.com you can see all of that all that stuff but we're not losing the USB-C port no we're not you losing hopefully that titanium new form factor which looks super cool to me maybe not it seems like titanium is still on the schedule but the whole like ultra thing has changed it's potentially not going to be called that anymore so i think a lot of the major big features that we were expecting are maybe waiting for next year when they can introduce it at that higher price point and be the ultra yes how about uh, that iphone 16 pro new screen sizes no boy what the heck that's not just a bezel is getting smaller than because the 15 pros won't have much. This is actually a lar- physically larger phone, physically right? Physically larger phone, yes. yes. Oh, I love big phones. That's too big. I was just going to say, I feel like, like I that, might that, need to go that, to the non-max. That's too big. I would honestly think the non-max might be the perfect phone now. Agreed. Unless they do that thing where the max gets, like, isn't it this year the 15 Pro Max would get the Periscope camera, but not the non-max? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're, they're starting to go back to that now, which I was like, we had one year of like identical things. And now they're like, ah, yeah, well, you know what? Forget that. Go buy the new one. And you'll only be getting a 6X Zoom. Yeah. I mean, for Apple, that's double. It's 100% double for sure. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. But okay. How often, I know you guys both use the, I don't know how often you use them, but the Samsung phones with the space Zoom. Mm Mm-hmm. How often do you do anything like even hitting, let's say, 10x? Quite a bit. Regularly. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. Interesting. So even with the improvement, Apple is still lagging then. Oh, yeah. As it pertains to like usable, because at some point it's not usable anymore, like when you're zooming. But you're saying 10x is still. I would say 30 is pretty usable depending on what you're looking Interesting. at. Interesting. Yeah. Once you yeah, get up okay. to 100, it's a little bit ridiculous. It's more of like, look what I can do. But. You know, you're not using that for So anything. is this underwhelming? It's underwhelming for you guys then. 6X. It's almost like... For, for uh, Apple, it's huge, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like for Apple, I'll take it, man. That's a that's a win. Okay. 6X is literally, like you said, double. So as someone who uses the iPhone on a daily basis, it's not underwhelming. Primarily, it's not under- right? Yeah, primarily. I always carry an Android phone around, but it's primarily my my device and it's double the amount. So it's that's pretty overwhelming for me, honestly. Okay. 
What are you guys most looking forward to here? Wait, can I can I interrupt? We have some breaking oh, yeah. new breaking news, which will probably won't be, no, no. probably won't be breaking by the time this podcast comes out. Okay. Tim Cook was on the China News doing an interview, and they asked him directly about an AR headset, and his quote was, "Stay tuned, you'll see what we have to offer." Yeah. Well, I mean, there you go. That's it. He didn't say no. Exactly, because he he can't say no anymore. Right. Right. No, it's time. I mean. To me, this is the most exciting thing. Like, we're on like the cusp of. Remember when they remember the Apple Watch presentation? There was so much hype and fanfare around it. Mm-hmm. Like when they were announcing it, even before oh, yeah. everybody like, we we can't. The watch is coming. Here it is. This to me, even though the watch is more practical, this headset is a bigger idea than a watch, right? Like it's a bigger Probably. it's a bigger concept here. It's the next thing. Yeah, it's like the, it's a thing that we we all know what watches are. Even before the Apple Watch came out, we know we we use watches. We know about watches. This headset and what they may do and may announce is such a new frontier for everyone. Because obviously, when Apple does something, the industry kind of moves that way. What are we going to see? Like, what is Apple going to introduce? And then, what are we going to see from Apple's competitors like Google, like Samsung, in the future? I'm I'm very excited to see how this all turns out. I am. I just don't see this being something that everyone is out and about using. Not this. I know that this is the stepping stone into something much greater in the future. And hopefully that's just glasses. But that keeps getting pushed off for some reason. But like I can see myself personally wanting to wear very non-discreet glasses that can give me that information and do the AR things that we want it to do. I have no interest in VR. I got a MetaQuest a while ago. I used it, you know, played some games, played Beat Saber like everybody else. I have no interest in wanting to FaceTime or hold meetings or do anything in a fictional universe. Yeah, it would be cool maybe to watch some, some Browns games, some football games on the 50 at your house. Maybe I'd use that. But maybe not. I don't know. Like, I can't imagine that we're all just going to be out in the world wearing these headsets like the rumor is intended for them to be. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. I'm, I'm just waiting for Apple to change my mind. I don't know how I feel about having to plug into my body where the battery is out around your waist. That's very un-Apple-like. So I need to be sold on this, honestly. I'm, I'm sure it's cool, and I'm sure I will be in awe when they announce it. But as of right now, in my mind, I'm still thinking this kind of seems like a pointless thing. I don't know. WWDC just a couple weeks away. We need to have Dan back after we yeah. have been announced and see if there's that killer feature that we didn't see coming. I'm sure I'll fanboy all over it after that point. But <laughs> well, no, who knows? Dan, thanks for joining us this week. Hey, pleasure as I'm always. Up. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Always fun. Always a pleasure. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up. That's two words, not one in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at GearLive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you 
in the next episode.